We're going to be looking this morning at Psalm 1, and we're going to be reading it together from the screen. Since uh, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it. Psalm 1, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. This is the uh, NRSV version, so maybe a little bit different than what you have in front of you. But there are three different screens, and we'll break the psalm apart. But read it with me. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. The Grand Rapids Public Museum has this fascinating exhibit right now on the Civil War. And you can go in and they have tents that are set up like they were during the war and you can duck in and see what was there. They have uniforms that you can try on and feel how heavy they were and understand why many soldiers suffered from heat stroke. They have this little place where you can play a drum and try and imitate the call to arms that the drummers would do. But then tucked in the corner of this little display, tucked back in the corner, there's this writing desk. And on this writing desk is a book of letters letters that were written between people at home and the soldiers who were out in the front. And if you start the book right in the middle, you can read a little bit for a while, but then you get a little confused because you think, who is this person writing to? Like, is this her, is this her son? Is that why she's telling him to keep warm? Or um, is this her husband? Is this her fiancé? You actually have to go back to the beginning of the book and like, figure out, like, well, who's Charlotte and who's John? And, and who's Robert? Like, who are these people? And then, once you know the relationships between all the people, you can read the letters with a lot more understanding. Well, the Psalms are a lot like that. The Psalms are descriptors of a relationship between God and God's people. As many of you know, the Psalms are songs, they're poems, and they're either written to God or they're written about God. But they're written in the context of an existing relationship. God went to the people of Israel long ago and said, will you be my people? And they said, yes. And he said, then I will be your God. And they established this covenant relationship, much like a marriage. And so we read in the Psalms all the expressions of this relationship. You have Psalms where you hear praise for God. God has done amazing things. You have Psalms of thanksgiving that God has given so much and we're so grateful. And then you have these Psalms where people act like they're actually a little angry at God. They're upset with him. Why are you so far off? Where are you? When are you going to show up? I was in a really tough place and you weren't there. What's that about? 
And for some of us, that may seem a little disturbing. It's like, well, can you talk to God like that? Apparently you can't because it's in the Bible. (laughs) And the only way you can do that is if you're in a covenant relationship where you're committed, I'm committed to you, you're committed to me, so we can have this real relationship where all of our emotions can just be alive and active and right there. I have a friend who's been dating someone for a while, and we were at a gathering uh, this summer, and one of the old married people um, said to her, have you had your first fight yet? And she, she, she kind of went, I, I, I don't think so. And he said, oh, I love the first fight. <laughs> I love the first fight. He said, the first fight seals the deal. The first fight says, are you in or are you out? Are you going to put up with me when I'm crazy and kind of go off like this, or are you going to bail? He says, I love the first fight. I really think it seals the deal. And she said, so should I pick a fight? And he said, no, 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 do that. Don't do that. It will come up of its own accord. But this is what you have in the Psalms. You have this real relationship between God and God's people. And sometimes it is amazing And it's worship where you raise your hands and the tears are coming down. And other times it's like, what are you doing in my life? It's very real. It's commitment. Now, some of you have that kind of relationship with God. You are committed. You are all in. If you had a Facebook relationship status for God, it would be like, in a relationship, committed, all in. If you and God could swap rings, you would. Like that's how much, maybe you've grown up in the faith. Maybe you love to pray. You love to pray for other people. You love to get into the word. You are so excited about going to chapel every day so you can learn how to worship in other languages and with other cultures and other styles. And that's just where you are. And for some of you, it's kind of been an on again, off again with God. Maybe you've grown up with it. You've heard about it. Church and religious stuff was kind of part of your upbringing, but, you know, God's nice to hang out with from time to time, but do I really want I mean, he really demands a lot if you go all in. I don't know if I'm pretty ready for that kind of commitment, so let's just kind of take it easy. You know, just like hang out, nothing serious. And for others of you, you don't even know if you like God. Maybe you have things in your past that you think, I don't know if a holy God could really love me after I did that. Or maybe you've had significant loss in your life. You lost a parent or your parent's marriage. And you think, I don't know if I want a God who can't fix this stuff. In this room today, we've got everybody on that spectrum. And in the course of your life, the odds are pretty good you're going to move within that spectrum too. And so we need a little help today to figure out what does a relationship with God look like? How do we foster it wherever we are on the spectrum? If we're actually going to take this seriously, what would that look like? And this is where Psalm 1 helps us. Psalm 1 is the first psalm. 
It's in a canon of 100... You can laugh at that. It's all right. It's all good. Or not. It wasn't really that funny. Um, Psalm 1 is the first one. And how many psalms are there in the whole canon? 150. All right? So at the very beginning of this whole collection of prayers that sometimes are full of praise and sometimes lament and sometimes thanksgiving and sometimes frustration and we don't know what's going on, at the very beginning of this collection of songs, they say, this is the one that will help you understand this relationship. If you get this one right, you're going to understand everything else. So you know that we're doing together a 10-week Bible study on the Psalms. And you've got to get Psalm 1 right to understand the rest of them. And some of the Psalms are written by one person, and some of the Psalms are written for everybody. And so on Sunday nights at Loft, we're going to be looking at the life of David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms. And we're going to get into this collection. But in order to really understand the relationship between God and God's people, let's look at the first part of Psalm 1. The psalmist says, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, the Hebrew there is actually really poetic because it starts out by saying, happy are those who don't walk with bad people, happy are those who don't stand with bad people, and happy are those who don't sit with bad people. All right? So imagine this scenario. Two students are walking back to the dorm area after class, Catherine and Josie. They don't know each other particularly well. They've been in Chinese a few times together. That's all they have, these few days of Chinese class. They're walking back, and Catherine says to Josie, hey, there is this great party coming up this weekend. It's off campus. The owners of the house are over 21, so you know what that means. And I would love for you to come with me. I think you would have a ball. You'd meet new people. It would be great. And so as they're walking back to the dorms, they're having this conversation, and Josie internally is thinking, I don't know, watching people get drunk and fall down, not my idea of a good time. I really don't want to do this. Uh, I don't know about this. And then they stop and they stand, and Catherine says, no, really, I, I'd like you to come. I think it would be a great time. Uh, you don't have to drink. I mean, it's just really just hanging out with people. And then she says, oh, you know what? I need to grab lunch before I go to my next... Do you want to sit and have lunch with me? And then Josie goes to lunch, and Josie and Catherine start talking about other things, and they realize that they have lots of other things in common. And then Catherine says, so what do you think about the party? And all of a sudden, Josie realizes, oh, now it's going to be really hard to say no, because I feel like I have some kind of a relationship with this person. And the psalmist says, here's what you do. You don't walk with people who are going to lead you astray. Because walking leads to standing, leads to sitting, leads to developing a relationship with someone who's going to lead you further from a relationship with God. So right from the beginning, don't even walk that way. Don't even turn that way. Don't even entertain the option. Hey, this party sounds great, but I really don't like to spend my time that way. I hope it's, it's good for you. And um, So what else do you like to do with your time? Don't even entertain the thought. And then the psalmist says this, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law they meditate day and night. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. If he says, if you actually want to have a relationship with God, if you actually want to own this for yourself and stop trying to either impress your parents or rebel against them, if you actually want to take this seriously, you need to delight in the law of the Lord. 
Now you could be sitting there thinking, oh, wait, are you laying out that my choice is either I can go to a party or I have to sit and like read the Bible all the time? Hmm. <laughs> well, we really need to understand what the psalmist is saying when he says the delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, law meant Torah. And Torah was all the covenant promises between God and God's people. It was like their marriage vows. So when he says, delight in the law of the Lord, he's saying, delight in the promises that God has made to God's people. It's like if a husband woke up every morning and turned over and said to his wife, I take you today to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. Good morning, honey. Have a great day. How would that impact a marriage? If every morning it was remembered that we are in a covenant relationship, we are committed to each other. I am in this for the long haul no matter what. The psalmist knows that what you meditate on, what you recite, becomes a part of who you are. There's this great scene in the movie The Help. Have you seen the movie The Help? Such a good movie. So there's this, this woman in The Help whose name is Abilene. She's an African-American maid, and she's taking care of a little girl named Mae Mobley. And Mae Mobley's mom really doesn't care much for Mae Mobley. She's not as cute or as thin as she would like her to be, even though she's very little. And her mom has just basically pushed her aside. And Abilene sees this. And so every morning, while she's getting Mae Mobley ready, she's putting her clothes on her. She's kneeling down in front of her and saying, say this, I is kind, I is smart, I is important. And as the film goes on, you see how Mae Mobley begins to own these words. I is kind, I is smart, I is important. And she's going to need those words in her heart and her soul because there are going to be a lot of voices around her that tell her that she's not. So the psalmist says to us, what are the words that are going to echo in your heart when you wake up in the morning? Are you going to listen to God say to you, I am your God. I am your shepherd. You don't have to worry about anything. Psalm 23. I am your refuge and your help in all kinds of trouble. Psalm 46. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. Psalm 103. I am your God. You are my child. What would your life look like if every day you woke up and as you got dressed in the morning, you clothed yourselves with those words of covenant from a God who loves you? God is my shepherd. God is my strength. It would change your life. And on that law, they meditate day and night. 
And you know what happens when you start living your life like that? You become like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. We have great trees on campus here. And when, um, when I read this, I think about the one that's down uh, by the Sempon. And it's this beautiful old tree. And it's right by that little creek. And it's right by the Sempon. And it's just huge. And it has these leaves. And it's just it's this amazing tree. And when you're doing your uh, walks around campus, there's this little bench and a stream, and there are lots of people who like to go out there and take pictures because it's such a place of rest and quiet and centeredness. And the psalmist says, when you start living your life based on a relationship with a God who loves you, this is what you start to look like. One of those big trees that everybody just loves to be around because you are shade and comfort and protection and joy. He says, that's what you can have. That's what your life can be like. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So he's keeping that point in mind. Look at this is so beautiful. This is who you can become. If you make other choices, you die. (laughs) It's very clear, very clear. There is no gray area in Psalm 1 at all. Make good choices. Meditate on the law of the Lord. Remember who you are and you will flourish. If you don't do this, you die, right? It's just, there's no middle ground. Very clear at the beginning of Psalm 1. And then what does he say? Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish, right? Again, very strong counter. What's interesting in this translation You see verse 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The Hebrew word there is the word that means know. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And it's the same Hebrew word that's used when a husband and a wife know each other. That kind of intimacy. So it's not this distance, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That's not it at all. It's the Lord knows the way of the righteous, knows it intimately, knows what your life is like. And it's easy when we read the Psalms to become Unitarian and just think of God as being one. But because we know that further revelation was found in Jesus Christ, we know that one of the reasons that God knows our way so well is because God took on flesh. He became incarnate. Jesus knows what it's like to stub a toe. He knows what it's like to stay up really late talking with people you just met. He knows what it's like to having been around people for a lot that you just need to go to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus knows the way of the righteous knows it intimately. Father, Son, and Spirit know your life. There is no part of your life that is hidden from God. There is no secret that you're trying to keep that God doesn't know about. He knows everything. He knows your life. And it's because he knows our lives so well that he can take it when we pour out our praise and our thanksgiving and our lament. And it's because he knows the pain of lament. 
and the sorrows that too many of us carry. That in Jesus Christ, all of the broken things of this world went to the cross, the wonderful cross, were nailed to it and are doomed. All of the reasons that we have for lament died with Jesus. And Jesus rose from the dead victorious and he invites us to live that kind of life, a victorious life where we meditate on the law of the Lord because this is who we are. This is our relationship with God where either we're committed or we're going to look harder at it or we're going to be open to what God may do. Maybe for you who are on the more on the committed end, this fall means you're going to memorize some psalms and you're going to plant the word deep in your heart. Maybe for some of you who are like, oh, I don't know, God's okay, I don't really know. Maybe now it's the time for you to say, either you're going to take this seriously or you're not. The psalms are not ambiguous. Either you're going to choose life or you're going to choose death. Either you're going to be consistent in the way you act on Saturday night and Sundays or you're not. Maybe it's time for you to own your faith in a way that you haven't before. And for some of us, we're on the end that we think, well, I don't know about any of this stuff. Maybe a simple step for you would be to join a Bible study. You don't have to talk. You don't have to lead it. Just go one hour a week and see what happens. The psalmist says there is life abundant for those who find their identity in what really matters. And that's not in any kind of relationship we can have with each other, but it's in a relationship with a God who is wholly committed to us. God says to us this morning, I am your God, will you be my people? He's asking for commitment. He's asking for a turn away from the wicked. He's asking for your life. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die and be resurrected so that we can have a full relationship with him. That's the gift that he offers. True relationship, commitment through Jesus Christ. You've never made the commitment. Today's a good day to make it. You're making a lot of changes in your lives right now. This would be the most significant change you would ever make. More significant than who you're going to date or marry. More significant than a major. More significant than where you want to live or what off-campus semester you want to choose. This one. Am I going to be in let me tell you something. There is nothing better in this world than to be sold out to Jesus Christ. Nothing. God loves you so much. And he wants so much for you to know that love. This is a gift. You notice when you came in that there were baskets 
along the side. And in just a minute, we're going to pass them. In each basket is a note card, an envelope, and a pen for each one of you. And we're going to take time, and we're going to write letters to God. Define the relationship. Where is it now? Where do you want it to be? How is he speaking to your heart? Put it in the envelope. Address it to your local address on campus, your room number, your dorm number, your name. Just put that on. If you live off campus, put that on. And spend some time listening to the God who loves you and making that commitment back to him. Will you pray with me? Love so amazing, so divine, demands our souls, our lives, our all. God, we are humbled by the gift you have given us in Jesus Christ, that you would send your son to die so that we can be in relationship with you, that you love us so much that you don't stand afar off and watch us from a distance, but that you become flesh and blood and you know what our lives are like. So in this day, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are on the commitment end of the spectrum, who are sold out and love you. The Holy Spirit, direct them for what's next, for what's more, for what's deeper. Maybe they need rest. Maybe they need Sabbath. Invite them into that. For those of us in the middle who are unsure, Holy Spirit, go gentle with us but be persistent and remind us that this is what really matters. And for those of us who are just unsure in this moment or even frustrated or unclear, Holy Spirit, I pray that we will be truth tellers, that we will tell the truth to ourselves first and then maybe seek out a good confidant who can help us think and pray over these things and help us to be patient with you wherever we are on the spectrum. Help us to trust your love for us. Revealed in Jesus. So now as we pick up a pen and write to you, God, receive these letters which may be praise or lament or thanksgiving or confusion. Receive them as part of a relationship that is possible because of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen.